Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to the All Stats Aren't We review of the Liverpool disaster and a preview of the Spurs disaster yet to come. I'm Darren Driver. Oh, this has started quite well. And I'm here with the soft penalty leading to the inevitable collapse of the podcast, John McKenzie. And finally, the numbing inevitability of the podcast, the sixth goal that doesn't even really hurt anymore. It's Tom Alderson. Tom, how you doing, buddy? So that sixth goal from Van Dyke. I had Van Dyke in my fantasy football team, so I was like, well, if it's five nil, it may as well be six and at least I get something out of this game. So that was that was the that I'm really scratching for positives there because that was the the only one I could get. Yeah, that's about it. And John, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, so I was watching the game on a illegal stream because it was impossible for me to watch the game legally. And so in these situations I feel justified to do so. I feel justified to do so anyway, but uh, that was just for me to get on the moral high ground. But um, the, the the illegal stream was freezing maybe every 15 minutes and it was a hassle because I had to get up and refresh the screen and, and start it again. Not getting up. Not yeah, getting it up, was, John. It was, it was awful. <laughs> anyway, the screen froze at 89 minutes and 40 seconds and uh, it was 4-0 and I was like, oh, you know, that's 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 that. There'll be a three minutes of injury time and whatever. Uh, only to find out 20 minutes later that we'd conceded two more goals after that point. Um, yeah, so that, that was basically my experience of the game yesterday. I said to my wife before the game, I wasn't really asked about the game because I was pretty sure we were going to not take anything from it and that I promised not to get stressed or upset or grumpy or miserable or shout at the telly or swear at the players or, you know, whatever. And um, I'm afraid that I failed her miserably um, in, in all of those promises. So there we go. Well, it's like you'd expect to lose, but you're like, not, not, <laughs> not like that. <laughs> Don't lose like that, Leeds. Come on. <laughs> quite so. Quite so. Anyway, we've got lots to talk about and we are going to try and keep this as, as cheerful and, and upbeat as, as we possibly can. Um, but John, do you want to tell us first about the video that you've um, released into the, the the Patreon today? Yeah, we'll do. I'm running a series at the moment on Bielsa's successes, um, which is, I usually say at this point a caveat that I don't really know what's happening. And um, this is just covering a few suggestions that our patrons say to us, oh, do you think they would make a good Leeds manager? Uh, it does look a little bit a little bit brutal that I've just released one the day after that performance. But um, <laughs> this this video is the second one in the series. I've looked at Mar Marcelo Gajardo, who is the manager of River Plate in Argentina. I've given a bit of context about his career. I've looked at the tape so we can see how he presses, uh, see how he likes to score goals and, and build up. Uh, and that is available on our Patreon. It's about about just under an hour. So you get getting your money's worth on this one. Definitely, definitely. And John, do you want to mention your new venture as well, which I've signed up to the, the Patreon? on for um, a couple of days ago. I think it might be worth giving that a little plug here. Yeah, I am doing more of what we do here, but in a more general sphere. So I've started a podcast called A Podcast About Tactics. What's it about? It's about tactics, yeah. <laughs> and um, I will be using that podcast to chat to smart people about tactics of managers and clubs around the world and also speak to 
industry experts about their careers, but also uh, talking about tactical ideas as well. So plenty of stuff to, to get uh, interested in over there. If you want to find out more, go to Pod About Tactics on Twitter and you will find everything that you need to know. Okay, that's John's plugs over, and this is a double-header episode, so we'll be reviewing both the Liverpool game and previewing the Spurs fixture at Ellen Road, which is happening on Saturday. So, as is tradition now, I'm going to hand over to John to lead the review section of the podcast, and he's going to put Tom and I through last night's drubbing by Liverpool again. So, over to you, John. Yeah, it's going to be, as I always say, a paired back review this time around uh, because we've got to fit the preview and the review in in quick succession. So we will do the interrogation, which will be dotted throughout with listener questions. Some really good questions, actually, this time around. So thanks very much to everyone who sent them in. Um, So let's kick off with question one. Right, I'm going to give you both a chance to rant about whatever you want to rant about so we can get all of your ranting out of the way early on and then we can go on to try and be a little more, little bit more constructive. So Darren, we're going to go with you first. What do you want to rant about? I don't have anything to rant about. I, I genuinely don't. I just feel sad and a bit broken and um, like I'm a bit sick of this season and I just want it to be over and so that we can build up some hope for next season uh, again. I, I, I just... When I read this question, I I thought I must have loads of stuff I can rant about. And then I've spent like the last two hours trying to think of something. And um, I just, yeah, I'm I'm just at a bit of a loss with it all, really, to be honest. Um, Because I just don't, at the moment, I just don't see where the next victory is coming from. I definitely don't see where the next good performance is coming from. Um, And I'm just kind of really trying to bunker down for the rest of the season and and try not to get myself too sweaty about it all because I just don't think it's going to be fun. And, and, um, you know, I think we will survive, but I I think it's going to be really tight and 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 very unenjoyable and um so yeah i think i just the thing i want to rant about is that i'm lamenting the loss of fun from this thing which i'm supposed to enjoy and that, that's, that's supposed to be a kind of leisure activity which I, which i spend more time telling lauren my wife that i hate more than than, than saying anything <laughs> positive about it so that's me what do you think the source of the disappointment is and i know it's easy to just be like everything's bad everything's rubbish everything's awful but it I am interested in, because I went through similar, I think, after the game, the last couple of games, but particularly the game yesterday, which was, I I don't know, just felt a little bit numb. And it's sort of, you you sort of, I think I get it into my head that we're going to lose these games. And so I kind of, I kind of go through the motions of what Tom described before, which is you expect to lose, but then you lose in a way which upsets you even more. Um, so I'm interested in not not in prolonging the misery, but maybe just sort of teasing out what what we think that the the disappointment is in this case. So for me, the sadness is about the transience of good things <laughs> that, that eventually they're going to come to an end, and and I feel like this good thing that we've had for a few years is coming to an end. And I'm not going to get too deeply into that because I know we've got another question coming about that later on. So I'm not going to sort of go too too far into that. I think I think for me the primary difference between this season and last season is that last season I thought there was a chance that we might give the big teams a bloody nose if everything went our way and that that there was there was a reasonable chance that we were going to perform well and win against the teams that were that were lower than us. And I just don't think either of those things are true at the moment. So I go into the, the games against the bigger teams feeling like, yeah, we're going to lose. And actually knowing that we're going to lose and knowing that it's likely that we're going to lose very comfortably. Whereas last season, I thought, well, we might get wallops, but we might give them a bloody nose. It'll probably be quite entertaining. It won't really matter too much. Uh, even, you know, even that even co- includes the old Trafford uh, hammering last season where I was really proud of the team because actually we gave Man United a difficult game even though we lost 6-2 um, but this season I just don't feel like we're giving teams difficult games I suppose is is, is, is the thing and that things have dropped off to such a degree that um, it just it just feels incredibly difficult to feel hopeful about about games and to, to get any enthusiasm for you know I've, I've started even sitting down when I watch games at home now and I never used to do that it, it was always like nose two inches from the screen and you know heading every ball and all those other cliches but yeah there we go Tom what about yourself I've seen quite a lot of people say on tw- Twitter that oh it's Liverpool so it doesn't matter but the main my main annoyance is you're just seeing the same things happen again and again week week in week out. You take Matip's goal, for example, like just a centre-back running through the centre of the pitch. That's been an issue for two years, but 
it's just that's not that's not being fixed and you like we we know that the like we're going to touch again on this more later, but like we know that a click and Rodrigo isn't going to work in midfield against big teams, but we do Bielsa does it anyway, and then it just there's it's, my, my main annoyance comes from the fact that we've seen all these issues and there doesn't seem to be any there just doesn't seem to be any sort of desire to fix them. Whereas last year, like Dallas went in and we played that more zonal midfielder, and it whilst it 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 probably it worked. Probably not as well as everyone think it did, but it did work. But there's just no sign of that this year, and it just—it's just the, the the inevitability that you know we're gonna get absolutely past. The just teams are just gonna play through us, and we'll, what have we done? We've conceded 16 goals in four games. That's that's just there's an, you know we're gonna concede a lot of goals every game, and you just don't feel like we're gonna score. So it's just it is a bit of a sadness watching Leeds games at the moment, just because it, it's the inevitability of the goals being conceded and just you don't feel like we're going to score the goals to make up for it. Yeah, I do wonder whether or not there's like a temporal aspect to this, which is you assume that there's going to be that progression constantly, which is how you get through those games in previous seasons where we've been battered. Um, so yeah, like you say, the Manchester United 6-2 result, Darren, was was sort of one of the 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 vanguards of that that sort of battering that we know has become all too familiar now but as as Tom's saying you you sort of live with that because you think well you know we'll get to the end of the season we'll bring in better players and we'll we'll get rid of those problems uh, but it it doesn't seem to happen and I think that's maybe where a lot of the frustration comes from is that we spend a lot of time trying to think through what's going on on the pitch and and it feels as though we're recording the same podcast every week at the moment where the questions are <laughs> going to be right, what's the issue with these players playing in these positions in the press and why are we not generating chances, etc. And it does feel a little bit like we, we've we lost that upward trajectory now and it's it's very much a downward one and it doesn't seem like it's going to be turned over anytime soon, right? So anyway, that's the, the really miserable stuff out of the way. Let's start talking about maybe slightly more constructive things. Um, so question two, I've got, what did you make of the selection calls from Bielsa ahead of this game, Tom? You've already touched on this, but Daniel Winter wrote in to ask, how can Bielsa be justified dropping Rafinha against Manchester United to be more defensively sound, but then insist on a Rodrigo click for sure midfield against one of the best teams in the world? What do you make of that? One thing that comes to mind is I just wonder if there was more to the Rafinha benching rather than trying to be defensively solid, but that's just me putting stuff out there that I've got nothing to be true on, so don't don't take anything from that really. I I think the reason for it, and I kind of hope it was more because he wanted to get more senior players in because he just, we know he loves to do that. And with Cock out and with Llorente out, it was just kind of the only way to get those eleven players in in the way that they could, rather than trying to go at Liverpool. Because if if he generally thought going for Forshaw deep and then Rodrigo and Click as a to the two eight was the best call for that game. That's like that's a really, really worrying call. So I, I do hope it's more that... It, I hope it is the injuries in the squad that have caused that issue rather than he thinks that's the best way to win that game. Darren, do you think that the solution should have been to start from the premise that a click Rodrigo midfield wasn't going to work and so trying to work the rest of the team around it? Yeah, because Bielsa seems to have acknowledged recently that that's not the most solid, um, you know, for... Uh, formation of midfield that you can put out so I think I think you would do that but then I guess I guess the natural natural extension of that is probably that you, you end up having to drop either Click or Rodrigo and put Dallas in the midfield which then means that he has to bring Cresswell in all likelihood in at centre-back and move Aileen to right back or bring Shackleton in at right back and keep Aileen at, at centre-back and I don't think he's I don't think he's especially keen to start Cresswell at the moment um and 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 to put the trust in in the, in the young players, um, the young players that we were promised were the reason why we weren't buying any other players. I, I hasten to remind people. Um, or yeah, and and Shackleton seems to you know every time he gets a run in the team, he breaks, and then it takes him forever to get back into a run in the team before he you know breaks again. So I, I can I can see that 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 there weren't any options that Bielsa was likely to prefer available than than playing the team that he put out. And I do think that there is probably something in in that he would that that if he was going to drop either Click or Rodrigo out of that midfield, you would you would imagine that in a game against Liverpool he would be more likely to drop Rodrigo. But then he would also want Rodrigo in the attacking transitions because that's where he that's the, the place where he's got value. So I, I do wonder whether it was a deliberate attempt to try and to try and catch Liverpool in in 
in defensive transition and given that, that given that he tries to win every game that that was going to be our best chance of winning the game um, and I, I, I think probably that, that does play into his thinking. I suppose the fact that we generated 0.17 XG overall would counter that but that's just outcome bias John <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyway it didn't work either way <laughs> it did not work well it was a pretty damning yeah. response to that midfield when it was it became Roberts and who was it uh, Dallas after in the second half like it only lasted 45 minutes that's how well that choice went Question three, Darren, we need to talk about pressing. It's been a while. And um, yeah, I think part of the part of the disappointment of this season is that there's certain tactical aspects of, of Leeds United's play that last season I was so keen on keeping up to date with. And this season I've just sort of let drop a little bit, but we haven't talked about pressing for a while. Um, we had a question from Sam who asked, what has happened to our press? We seem to chase shadows. It's a long way from the Starlings in flight from our first couple of seasons. Um, yeah. And Darren, looking back on our previous seasons, why do you think the press now looks almost unrecognisable? I think there are a lot of reasons. I think probably the players are probably, I, I suspect that some of the players are not as physically capable as they were in those earlier seasons. So probably particularly Matthias Click is, is, has probably had a physical drop off. Um, I think that, that some of the players don't really suit the, the high pressing game like Rodrigo probably would fit into that category. Um, I think that that the oppositions have found ways to to beat it, so that they're they and I think we're up against better players. So it's always over the course of a season, the coaches in the Premier League have worked out how to beat Leeds Press and the various methods that you can use to do that. So I think in 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 order to try and sort of counteract the uh, opposition responding to our press, we've tried to go for more of a more of a mid press. So sitting sitting in the middle third and trying to press from there or high up in the middle third and press from there. So balls that are fed into the midfield, trying to snap onto those, but still sticking with the man marking. So one of the things that you, you'll see quite happen happen is that even though at times it looks like we're playing like what looks like a mid block, we're still man marking. So as soon as their midfield players move to one side or the other, our midfield players are therefore going to follow them, which just creates a vast gap. For, for, for the defenders to run through. So the thing that you were trying to manage in the first place by going to that more, that more mid-block um, thing just completely gets bypassed. Um, so I, I just... I just And I, I also do wonder whether the, whether there's an element of perhaps either the players losing faith in the high press or getting so... having the same messages given to them for three and a half years that the, 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 the details of it get lost... I think if you hear the same thing over and over and over and over and over again, it stops being impactful. So I do, I do wonder whether there's a bit of kind of um, sort of subconscious resistance to 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 it as a methodology. I I don't. That's pure speculation. But but I think I'm certainly not seeing a, a group of players who are as committed to to the press or as unified in the press as we've seen in in previous seasons. Yeah, I thought the Liverpool made a bit of a mockery of our press yesterday. I think one thing that we've seen from, I guess, a number of the the, the better teams, quote unquote, has been an ability to to sort of work around that that press quite comfortably. Uh, Liverpool did it through having just elite players in in all of their positions and and plenty of movement, pass and movement. Uh, we've seen teams do that with. Dribbling, so good ball carrying, um, moving the ball, moving ball and opposition players around in that way. Um, you know, we've we've seen that happen from, I mean, not even elite teams. We've seen Everton do do um, cause us problems like that. But I felt yesterday that Liverpool were very good at um, working our front press insofar as they would move the ball from one side to the other. And after you do that a couple of times, there's not really the there's not really the uh, appetite for it from our players to to get across. We do this sort of um, strange, not strange, but like a, a, a concertina press where where the the more advanced eight will push out to one of the centre backs and the other the, the forward will drop in and cover the play that they were covering. And um, we'll see that happen a few times. But it was just so easy yesterday for for Liverpool to to generate. Um, space for their centre backs to run into, and we saw obviously Matip doing that, but we saw Virgil Van Dijk a player who doesn't particularly carry the ball that well, uh, doing it fairly regularly as well. So, um, Tom, any thoughts from you on on the pressing? I think we did talk about this earlier in the season, um, but the fact that we are playing more transitional just means we can't get the players up into position. So when we do lose the ball, it's this is more probably on the counter pressing side rather than the the high pressing side, but we just 
we're so stretched, like we just play it. It's just even easier to play through us. Whereas last year we could just um, if we because we were kind of built up. I know we were transitional last year, but not to the extent we are this season. We could we had the players in position to counter press when we needed to. Um, and because yeah, because the style of play this year, there just it just isn't an option. So I think combined with that and what what Darren was saying, like it just it's almost like as a team we're just not as pressy at all. And I think it's I think it's it's kind of been as a consequence of our play rather than if if a choice has been made. I'm not sure. Well, let's carry on talking about the the press. I've got a fourth question, but more about that zonal iteration that we saw at the the second half of last season that you mentioned earlier, Tom, um, with with Dallas in particular dropping into a more zonal um, positioning in that midfield. And Dan Holdsworth, friend of the podcast, asked, "So, why do you think Bielsa hasn't reached for the zonal midfielder solution he used last season, or has he? And it's just not worked this time." And then Zach Palmer asked, "Obviously, today was the fault of the system. If you were in his place, how would you guys adapt?" Bielsa system without compromising all your principles is it possible can we play a partial libero in midfield as well as the back so yeah Tom thoughts on on this do you think that we haven't been zonal um, so much in the central spaces do we think that that's simply a corollary of playing Stuart Dallas in the midfield is that just how he plays that position Um, and we were sort of reading it as a tactical tweak by Bielsa but it's actually just more the way that that Dallas plays that position or do you think that um, there's something that's something we should go back to and and was intentional and hasn't been being done this season I feel like it was intentional because we did I think there was times when Dallas has played midfield and he's not done that so I think it was a thing that Bielsa has gone for. Um, I, the only reasons I can think he hasn't gone for that is just that Dallas hasn't been able to play midfield this year, either through injuries or kind of trying to get Click and Rodrigo in there or other midfield pairings. Um, so maybe you'll see it as something he'll go to once, if if and when the the injuries start to start to ease up a bit. Um, in terms of like the other, the other parts of the question, I'd, the only thing that comes to mind for me is like it's. And going back to what I said at the start, like you see like the repeated things of the centre back dribbling through, and that's as a consequence of there being minus one up front. So there's a centre back's always going to eventually find space. And I don't know if you can sort of almost sort of go man like even more aggressively man to man, which sounds really stupid, but to, to something like that or use the use the uh, midfielder in the way that Dallas has played to solve that because that's just something that you just see repeatedly and needs stopping. Um, it, the partial millet. Libero in midfield is that more like Dallas's role or was that? Yeah, I think it is. I think that is Dallas's role, really. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting what you say about going more aggressive in in the in the forward press. And I think that's definitely an option, and it's something that we've seen a lot of clubs doing recently. We've seen Arsenal do it against us. So Arsenal play with the front three against our back four, um, but we see. Basically, the striker pushing on one centre back, and then usually Bakayo Sako, the right-sided midfielder, will push onto the other centre back, and then you'll you'll either bait the pass out to the full-back. So you want you want Melier to to sort of clip clip that pass in at height to a a full-back who then is going to struggle to bring it down, and which at which point the either the the wing player can get across, or you'll see the full-back pushing up. So we saw that with Hector Bayer in a few times when he was still at Arsenal, and. Um, yeah, I guess I guess who they got there now, Tommy Asu, maybe not not quite so pushing forwards quite so far, but you could use one of the midfielders as well. So, and that's definitely an, an option. It's something that I covered in um, Andoni Areola's tactics. That's um, the one of the Bielsa successor videos. The first one, he's the manager of. Rio Vallecano and again he goes man to man in the forward press but he drops into a zonal situation and that's again it's a complex movement of players but you can definitely go player to player uh, across a back four um, and and cover all of the available outs including the pivot without that necessarily being a problem um, so I, I'm sure that that sort of thing might be an, an option um, I'm, I'm sure we won't see it but um, there, there are definitely other options for that but Darren what's your take on this? Yeah, I guess to a degree with that pressing stuff, it depends on whether whether Bielsa's absolutely wedded to the minus one, uh, you know, and, and what reasons he's got for wanting to do that. And and part of that is because he wants to create and create an additional player at the back. Um, so it would it would mean quite a big change for him and 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 quite a lot of I think it take quite a lot of um work on the training ground to make that effective and to and to make that. I mean. It, albeit saying that in the context of I don't think our current system is is effective at all um I think the easier option would be to to drop to the to the um 
to the Dallas Marzonal midfield option. Um, and and actually, you know, although I although I bemoaned it at times last season because it was a bit of a a bit of a killjoy in various games at least it did to some degree stem the bleeding and and I think at the moment we could really do without conceding three goals in a game uh, just to see if we might give ourselves half a chance of making making a couple of chances ourselves because at the moment it just feels like one way traffic so um, if we you know if there's anything that we can do to try and to try and stem the tides I'd be I'd be an advocate of yeah, I think it's worth saying as well that we do kind of go man for man at certain points. So you'll see the wide players in our system pushing onto the opposite side of centre-back. Um, we've seen that a few times. So you'll see that with Harrison and Rafinha. The problem is is that we then don't really adequately cover the fullback that they've left. And so it, as long as the goalkeeper can play that clip pass in, uh, usually there's an out ball for them. And I suppose the worry is, is that if you do then push up your fullback onto that player, then you're just leaving a huge space behind that, that isn't covered. Um, maybe, maybe it is time to be more um bold in that in that sort of uh, out, out ball system maybe it's worth accepting that you'll you're you're essentially going to end up with a with your minus one and your plus one being neutralized with someone pushing forward and then everyone covering back and then your libero covering a player at some point but um I, to be honest that's a risk I'd kind of not mind taking because I think it's all well and good you, you know complaining about not having that libero at the back but if you don't have if you don't if you do, if you do adopt that position, then we're just letting centre backs walk through us and score. We've we've seen it in two games in a row now where centre backs have either scored or set up pretty much a, a goal. Well, the outcome isn't that we've got a spare man at the back at the moment because actually what's happening more often than not is we're being overwhelmed by runners at the back in any case. Um, so you might as well take the risk. Yeah, I, I agree with you. One final question from me. Plenty of people now raising the question of getting rid of Marcelo Bielsa at this point of the season. Um, I think we should talk about this, um, albeit perhaps covering it quickly, but what's your take on this, Darren? Is this revenge for all the times I've thrown you under the bus with Dan James (laughs) questions, John? (laughs) You had it coming to you, to be fair. So I guess my take on this is that I don't see any value at all in, in... sacking him now or, or him moving away from the club now um, I think I don't think that would help at all I think it would I mean it's hard to see how they could be worse than they are right at this second but I, but I, I really don't think that, that someone would have the opportunity to come in and to make a meaningful impact on this squad between now and the end of the season and um, we've come this far with Bielsa I, the way I see it, we get to the end of the season with Bielsa come hell or high water, and we see we see what's happened. So, as much as I spent most of this podcast grumbling about things that are primarily his decision, I do I'm, I really firmly believe that we get to the end of the season and we see we see what happens after that. Um, it, it does feel to me like we're at an ending, and this does feel to me like like the like what happens when Bielsa leaves clubs that that the season sort of falls apart is difficult, lots of bad defeats, lots of terrible performances. So it, it, it's got all the hallmarks of a, of a last Bielsa season. Um, so I, I think I think that's where we are. But I, I absolutely reject the idea that we should get rid of him now. Tom, I'm guessing you're similar. Yeah, completely agree. Like we're just, the fact that if you brought someone in, you'd have to probably try and get someone in that's similar anyway. Because we play in such a unique way that, that these players aren't suddenly going to go like 4-4-2 low block are they so like I think we just yeah I think we just got to stick with it and hope it's okay yeah I don't think there will be any improvement bringing someone else in now so I think we made our bed and we have to lie in it but I think that brings us to the end of the interrogation so back to you Darren for the Spurs preview so this week Johnny McKenzie spoke to Chris (laughs) Miller of the Extra Inch about life under Conte being excited about Spurs future what must that be like and calling Harry Kane a massive weapon so Woody hi how are you I'm good thanks John I'm 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 very well do you know what I nearly called you Johnny then (laughs) and it's because (laughs) it's because um this is so weird in my head I call you Johnny McKenzie and I I sort of say it to the tune of Eleanor Rigby (laughs) But that is in no way linked to the next line <laughs> that comes yeah, after yeah. Father, Father McKenzie, McKenzie right. yeah. which is writing the words of a ser- sermon that no one will hear. It's <laughs> a bit bleak and, and definitely not the case for you. But I don't know. Yeah, that's just me being weird. Plenty of sermons being written by me that no one's <laughs> listening to, unfortunately. But that's what Twitter's for, isn't it? I will not hear that. <laughs> 
It's great having you on. We've we've had Nathan on a lot, and uh, I feel as I was working yeah. him to the bone. So I thought it would be good to good to have you on. And I, I know Nathan gets fed up of talking about things that he's already talked about before. So <laughs> hopefully uh, you'll be you'll be eager to talk about things that you've never talked before on this podcast. But thank you so much for coming on. Uh, yeah, very welcome. I'm I'm a little less curmudgeonly than Nathan, I guess. <laughs> yeah, a little less. Uh, but let's talk about. Tottenham. I think it's a good time to get someone who's going to be positive to talk about Tottenham on because uh, you've obviously just had a, a remarkable win against Manchester City. And um, yeah, that, that win came at a really good time for you guys, really, because you were on a bit of a miserable run before that. But uh, that win for City perks things up for you, doesn't it? Massively so. Massively so. We, we really needed it. Um, the team needed it. The fans needed it. The club needed it. It was just, um, it was starting to feel a bit flat and and that's it's a little bit unreasonable that it was starting to feel flat, but it was. And I have to say that the City win is one of my favourite ever Spurs wins. It felt really important and it was really memorable. And the sort of way it came about was was exciting. And Harry Kane put in one of the best performances I've ever seen from a Spurs player. And it just felt lovely. It felt very lovely. And we, we needed it, yeah. I should say that we're recording this ahead of the fixture tonight. Leeds are playing Liverpool tonight and you're playing Burnley. Um, mm-hmm. But let's talk a little bit about that fairly weird run of form that, that we've just mentioned. Obviously, that saw you have three losses to Chelsea and then a couple of losses to Southampton and Wolves on top of that. Uh, and I, I guess it came at a point where you were looking at breaking into the top four for the first time in a long while. And it felt as though with your games in hand, you had, had that under control and then it seemed to fall off a little bit. But looking back on that run, how do you read it? The Chelsea matches are kind of tricky to read because it just felt like Tuchel had Conte's number. And he, even though Conte tried to change things in the sort of second and third game, it was an unsuccessful attempt. And we did have injuries at the time. And it just, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to take too much away from the, the three Chelsea losses. But the fact that they obviously happened in quick succession was really disappointing. And broke up what was otherwise sort of a pretty good period for us. Um, in amongst it all was the Leicester match, the incredible game where Bergwijn scored two in, in stoppage time. And that was, I think, probably in our top three performances of the season. We were really, really, really good. Um, created a huge number of chances, didn't take them all. But the creativity was what gave me encouragement. And I felt very good off the back of that game. And I felt really confident going into the the final of the Chelsea games, which then obviously lost 2-0. It was a bit of a damp squib. We then played Brighton. And again, we were quite comprehensive against Brighton. We looked like a, a well-functioning team. And so I just thought, okay, great. We've... Um, you know, we've overcome the Chelsea thing. Obviously, there was something quirky going on there with, with Tuchel and Conte. And we've had Leicester and now we've had Brighton. Everything's going to be fine. And then Southampton absolutely destroyed us. <laughs> they played us off the pitch. They pressed us to bits. We did not have an answer for it. It was literally like a pretty much a whole game of um, of being dominated by a team that we, you know, on paper should be should be beating. So that was really disappointing and a little bit concerning and um, very sort of dispiriting for the for the fans. In fact, the fans booed the team off at half time at one all, which I, I you know I wasn't I wasn't that happy about them being booed off at one all. I kind of felt like that was a little bit premature and a bit over the top, but um, it did say something to sort of where the fans were um, at that moment. And then um, and then Wolves came and we lost again and. Again, we got booed off at half time. We were two 0 down this time, and uh, and so perhaps a little bit more justified. But again, I would say the Wolves game it wasn't terrible. It was a really disappointing start. There were some mistakes at the back, notably from Larice and then um, Davis. Um, but we played quite well in the second half, and I think if if we'd taken a couple of chances, then we'd have looked back at that game a bit differently. But anyway, we, we came to the City game and everyone was a bit down in the dumps and expecting the sort of the run of losses to continue. And um, we went and did what we did against City. and It was just such a, a fantastic lift. Yeah. And as a, a long time listener to the Extra Inch, I know that you, Nathan and Bardi are all pretty excited about having Conte as a manager. I just wonder how you view that run of, of of maybe a few disappointing results in light of the fact that I guess as I say listening to the podcast it seems as though you've been fairly level-headed about it and said you know this is a process that is going to move us up and we're going to uh, slowly become a, a sort of solid top four side but how how's that run lessen the excitement or is it simply just a, a blip for you guys? Certainly for me it's a blip 
I still feel really confident that we can get top four this season as much because I don't trust any of the teams around us to sort of get top four uh, as, and, and I kind of think that when you've got a player like Kane, who's so good and clearly underperforming at the moment or underperforming his XG, I mean, his general performances have been really good. Uh, I, I just feel like we'll be fine. I think we'll be fine unless Kane gets injured, in which case I might sort of revise that down a little bit. Uh, but I, I, I genuinely, I, I generally feel very excited about Spurs' future, and I, I'm not too concerned about the the run. Um, I know Bardi um, is a bit fed up with some of our players and, and wants some some squad turnover. But I think he, I think he like me, feels very excited about having Conte at the helm and, and Nathan too. So I think the sort of general optimism on the podcast has has perhaps seemed misplaced. Um, after the sort of Southampton and Wolves matches, but then we, you know, we're not going to get too worried about those. Like we're not going to be get too overexcited about City because we've beaten City doesn't mean we're suddenly better than we are. It sort of just means we're carrying on the way we, that we were expecting, I suppose. So yeah, there's there's a general very high level of excitement about having a, a world class coach who seems to be really improving some of our players, um, and actually we've got a functioning system which is creating chances. So it's yeah, it's pretty exciting still. You've mentioned that you're pretty sure that you're going to make top four this season. How big of a deal is it for you guys getting top four or not, do you think? It's massive. It's massive financially. Um, obviously, we built the stadium, cost a, a billion pounds. We've we've got these loans hanging over us. And um, uh, the club sort of say that that doesn't restrict the transfer business, but it must do. It must have an impact, especially when COVID happens and, you know, the revenue was down significantly. Um the money we made from the Champions League run where we got to the final was was staggering and it put us in a really strong position. And then, you know, to be in the Europa Conference League this year, the, the difference is, is significant. And then it comes down to sort of, will our players actually stay if we're not in the Champions League? Will Harry Kane think it's worth his while giving it another go at Spurs if we're not in the Champions League? So I do think it's, I think, I think it's particularly crucial this season that we finish top four. I mean, I think having Conte at the helm does give you a, a sort of draw for um, other players out there. And and maybe, you know, maybe if we finish fifth, Conte can still convince Kane to stay because he can show him he's building something. But I would say being in the Champions League would really cement that and it would be um, a big reason for Kane to stick about. Let's talk a little bit about the tactics under Antonio Conte. I think when we last had Nathan on, you'd only just got Conte in, so it was all very sort of uh, theoretical at that point. But how would you describe Conte's tactics at Spurs to someone who's never watched them before? So um, we we tend to play three four three, and um, that becomes a sort of um, it, it, well, it becomes a five four one in 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 the defensive phase. I suppose you'd say it certainly did against City. It was pretty staggering actually how. Um, Kulisevsky on the um, on the right sort of moves became sort of a auxiliary right wing back or, or right back so it was almost like a back six at times um, but if you think of it from the attacking phase we've got a 3-4-3 we play out from the back we have a sort of fairly high defensive line but when they're build, building up they, they drop deep and take the ball off the goalkeeper so it's passed out from the back um, we have the wing backs quite high up the pitch and then we have these dual tens, so Son on the left, and it has been Lucas, but it's now Krasevsky on the on the right who are playing this dual ten role. And what that means is, when they are um, near to the ball, they move towards uh, the balls on their side, I should say, that they move towards the ball to receive to feet. And then when they're on the opposite side of the pitch, they make a run in behind Kane. Um, so they sort of have a, a dual purpose as well as, um, yeah. I, I mean, I think that's that's probably the best way to describe it. Um, we we've also played some three five two, and that has happened in the two games that have probably been my favourite two performances so far. The Liverpool performance where we, we were pretty dominant against Liverpool, and um, and then Leicester where we created masses of chances. So I would I would certainly be in favour of seeing some more three five two. But Conte seems keen on the three four three. He seems very keen on Lucas, although. Um, Klosevsky's now starting his second game in a row, so kind of hoping that will change because he's not one of my not one of my faves. Um, and and we've struggled a bit without Eric Dyer. I mean, we've struggled a lot, I should say, without Eric Dyer in terms of playing the ball out from the back. Um, the sort of downgrade from Dyer to Sanchez is fairly significant, and Dyer being back means that uh, Christian Romero moves back out to the right of the back three, and he is absolutely crucial in our build up play. He's really really good on, on the ball. Um, very, very strong at sort of moving forward with the ball, passing the ball, um, long range, short range passing, sort of zipping it into feet. So 
yeah, that's that's a huge facet of our play, the sort of the build up from the back, which was pretty much non-existent under Mourinho and then Nuno Espirito Santo. And obviously Dyer was really important in the game against us, actually, which um, mm. brings me on to that game. In that game, you looked pretty bad in the first half and we were, went in at halftime 1-0 up, I think, and uh, turned it around in the second half. And I think in the second half, you guys were much braver. You pressed us much higher up the pitch and you caused us a lot of problems from that. I wonder if you anticipate Conte setting his team to play like this from the off, or do you think the game will follow the same sort of trajectory where you, you sort of sit off us a little bit in the first half and then maybe turn the screw again in the second half? Yeah, I think probably the latter. He can be a pragmatist, and I, I suspect he'll try and um, let Leeds punch themselves out again. Um, I mean, having said that, having he, he perhaps watched the way Leeds played against Man U and... Um, and kept going in the second half really, really impressively, I thought, in that game. Uh, and he he might fear the same happening again. So perhaps he will go a little bit more full throttle in the first half to try and stamp our authority. But it wouldn't surprise me if we tried to soak up some pressure first half and then sort of came out swinging in the second when, when Leeds had um, tied themselves out a bit. Um, it's kind of hard to get a read, actually, on that. Uh, I, I Yeah, I, I suspect we will we'll try and be a little bit pragmatic first half. Having said that... I think the confidence that the City game has given us is such a tonic to a number of our players who have been feeling, to be quite honest, a little bit sorry for themselves. Uh, And what I think that will mean is um, there's a lot more confidence in their ability. There's a lot more confidence in the system, which is crucial. Um, And and I I expect naturally that our performance levels will improve um, post-City generally. So, yeah, I'm really interested to see what happens. It's it's a fascinating matchup. we're not great in terms of being press resistant. You saw what Southampton did to us. But then having said that, there are sort of personnel changes since that Southampton game with with Dyer coming back and Ben Tancor and Klusevsky coming into the team. Yeah, and I guess traditionally Conte teams have been vulnerable to high-pressing teams. So you've mentioned the Southampton game, but how do you see that ahead of Saturday where Leeds are, again, usually uh, a, a pressing team? There's questions about whether or not we press as vigorously as we have done in, in the past, but um, there's always going to be that that um, aspect to playing against Leeds. So how do you feel about that? I mean, I always feel nervous playing against teams that press. And that's that goes. That's that's not a Conte thing. That's, that's just, it's just a scary thing to watch Spurs be pressed because we 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 have lacked press resistant midfielders in particular, but certainly defenders as well. Um, and and after seeing the Southampton match and the damage they did to us and sustained that damage for such a, a large portion of the match, literally sort of eighty eighty five minutes, it sort of makes you a little bit anxious. But as I say, the the personnel differences are really significant. So Dyer coming in for Sanchez is makes a huge difference to us. Sanchez is um, a fairly competent defender. He's, he's pretty good in the cover. He's, um, he's certainly a very committed defender. He puts his, puts his body on the line, but he's really poor in possession and, and nervous in possession. And it kind of translates through the rest of the team. And having Dyer there, much more assured player, um, obviously used to be a midfielder. So he's just got a, a better appreciation of, of space and the amount of time he has in the ball. And, and that will give the other players a lot of confidence. So I, I do think that changes things somewhat. At the other end of the field, you've got Harry Kane back. You've already mentioned that he's been really important to you. And um, yeah, watching back the Man City game, just what a, what a multifaceted player he is. Uh, he can do things that a lot of Premier League midfielders can't do, on top of the fact that he can do things <laughs> that almost no Premier League strikers can do. So yeah, it must be great having him back as a, as a weapon in your side. He's ridiculous. He's absolutely ridiculous. He's such a talent. Like you say, his passing is incredible. I mean, he, so his touch is brilliant. He, he, the way he gets the ball out of his feet so efficiently is is fantastic. His passing is incredible, both long and short range types of passing using different parts of his, his foot. So his technique is flawless almost, really good outside of the foot passes. Um, his instep is spot on every time. The weight of pass is great. Um sort of real variety of passes some, some sort of floated crossfield balls and then he's happy to, to drill them flat as well almost De Bruyne-esque really with his passing and then obviously genuinely elite finishing and and the ability to arrive in the box at the right moment and um and appreciate space um and, and the difference is seeing Kane looking fit now he can drop off and link play and yet also arrive in the box and get on the end of things so that makes him an incredible uh, weapon to have um, and I'm just really excited. I'm really excited that he's kind of ready to explode again because I've I've not doubted him. And the, the real problem under Nuno was we weren't getting him in the ball in 
in dangerous areas. We were struggling to sustain attacks. We were struggling to maintain possession in the final third. And I've always said that if you give Kane the ball in and around the box, he will do damage. And um, and that's what we're seeing now. But the thing is, he's not just getting the ball in and around the box. He's getting the ball deep as well. And then you know, linking play and creating the stuff that then happens in and, in and around the box. So he's just remarkable, really. We are close enough to the January transfer window that, that uh, most of our fans won't have seen anything of your new boys. So you brought in a couple of new boys from Juve during the, the break, Kulisevsky and Bentancor. What have you made of them so far? Both have started pretty well. Uh, Bentancor is a little bit more confident on the ball than our other midfielders, I would say. So our other midfielders, <laughs> having having shipped three out, the three left in the squad are Huybier, Skip, and Winks. Um, Skip has had a period of time where he's been out injured uh, and he's due back soon. Um, but Bentancur is definitely better at sort of carrying the ball and um, and taking touches in midfield than, than all of them. Uh, but I would say he, so far, perhaps uh, is a slight concern in terms of tracking runners. Uh, so I, I would say he's probably one for, you know, good when you, good when you have the ball perhaps less so when you're sort of playing a counter-attacking team um, in the defensive phase. Against City, his pressing was really impressive, actually. I was I was pleasantly surprised by how he sort of kept going for the full 90 and um, and sort of obviously had understood the, the Conte triggers and um, him and Huybert between them were doing a fantastic job in leading the press. And then Kosevsky, he looks... I think he looks really special. I, he got a lot of criticism after his debut because... Uh, he's he's not the quickest, and Spurs fans have got this obsession with players that uh, uh, air quotes slow down the counter attack. They get very frustrated if a player puts their foot on the ball and, and stops things moving forward. But for me, he 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 puts his foot on the ball because he can then you know pass the ball and and ball moves quicker than man. So I don't think he I don't think we need to be too worried about him slowing down counter attacks when his passing is as good as it evidently is. He's also really, really strong in possession. He's not going to get muscled off the ball too easily. So but while, he, while he's got you, while he's kind of between you and the ball, you're not going to get it back. And and like Ben Tancor, his pressing is, is really good as well. Um, you know, I, lo- I noticed from some of the highlights I, I watched before he joined that his, his sort of backwards pressure was, was really good and he would often nick the ball back from a, a seemingly impossible position. But... Um, so far, we've seen just the sort of standard forward press, and he's been very, very adept at that too. So I'm really encouraged by both of the signings. Uh, it's also incredibly early days for them, so I'm not going to kind of heap too much pressure, but um, so far, so good. And thinking about the, the game coming up this weekend, do you think it's a good time to play Leeds, given the run that you've just had, or would you prefer to play a less outlier team at the moment and maybe get a few more competent wins under your belt? I, I mean, I think I'd rather play this version of Leeds while they've they've got so many injuries, and I think I mean it's it's difficult. We're playing Burnley this evening, and I don't know how that game's going to go. It's a completely different game to the City match, but I I definitely feel like the players would have got such a huge boost from that City performance um, that. Yeah, I feel pretty good about playing Leeds at the moment, I must say. Um, and that, that could be misplaced. That could just be sort of coming off the back of a, a really historic Spurs win. Um, perhaps I'm over-egging things, but I, genu- I genuinely feel like we're on a sort of upward trajectory and the, the, the losses were blips within that. The numbers, underlying numbers, all look really good for Spurs in terms of um, expected goals, expected goals conceded. And and I think we're in a good place. And and now we've sort of got players back fit. I mentioned Dyer already, um, Bentancor and Klosevsky coming into the team, skips due back soon. We've got a sort of stronger bench as well. I do think we're in a pretty good place. And you mentioned returning injuries. Have you got anyone who's still injured or suspended ahead of this game? So Skip is the the sort of question mark, I suppose, um, going into it. He, he's been out for quite a while now. We're a little bit concerned that there's something going on there um, that's sort of keeping him from the first team. It's not absolutely pivotal whether he plays or not because we have these other midfield options now. Uh, Tanganga, I think, will likely miss the game, but he would have only been a sub-option anyway. And then um, Regulon has had covid uh, but seems to be sort of recovered now. But obviously, you don't know the effect that COVID will have on someone. So uh, so perhaps he won't play. Perhaps Sessegnon will keep his place for another couple until Regulon's um, fully fit and available. Would you like to hazard a guess at the lineup? So we, we've played two matches in a row with the same lineup, uh, and that is uh, Larice, and then across the back three, Romero, Dyer, Davis, and then across the midfield four, uh, 
Emerson Royale as right wing back and Sessignon as left wing back, Bentancourt and Hjoibier in the middle, and then uh, Son and Kosevsky behind Kane. Uh, Conte does rotate. He especially rotates the wing backs. Um, he also protects them by making late subs, so he'll tend to take them off between 17 and 18 minutes in matches. So it's quite difficult to call whether he will go for the same again. I guess it will depend on how they feel after the Burnley match, how much running they have to do, whether he's able to make changes in that match. If he can keep the same 11, I'm sure he will. But equally, I'm pretty confident that if Skip's available, he would feel fine about rotating Skip in for either of the midfield too. And likewise, if Regulon's uh, fully fully firing again, then I, I think Sessignon could easily come out for Regulon. And I don't ever ask for predictions on this podcast because anything can happen. But what I am interested in is where you expect the game to be won or lost for Spurs. I think it would be it would be lost through ourselves, basically, through not being able to cope with the pressure of leads, um, struggling to play out, struggling to get our sort of passing automations going. Uh, if leads do, I mean, leads go man to man. So if they do a good job of cutting off options, then that could really stifle Spurs. Uh, and and in the same way, the game would be won from us overcoming those problems, from Romero sort of giving up on the automations and just playing balls over the top, which Kane is and Klesowski too are very capable of sort of bringing down and springing from. Um, yeah, we, we've we've been good at creating chances and not so good at taking them. Um, obviously, we, we took our chances pretty effectively against Man City. Uh, and I would say that if we take our chances again, then I would feel fairly confident. Well, Wendy, it's been a real pleasure having you on. What is the best way for our listeners to catch what you're putting out about the game? So the podcast is called The Extra Inch. Um, you can find that on all your kind of regular podcast platforms. We also have a Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash The Extra Inch, where we, we have additional podcasts. So I have a, a secondary podcast with um, Chris Somersell, who is a coach and an analyst to working in professional football. Uh, that is called Straight Off the Training Ground, where we talk about coaching in particular. Nathan makes incredible tactical videos about um, Spurs and and sometimes our opponents. And, and Bardi is Italian. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Such a pleasure. Thanks for having me. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Interesting stuff, interesting stuff. Okay, let's start to think about some of the, the stuff in, in that interview. Um, so Spurs will play a 3-4-3 and Leeds will play a 4-4-2. So no, no great surprises there. So, um, Tom, I'm going to come to you with this one. Do you expect to see a different eleven from the one who played at Liverpool? Because I don't really see many options for changing things around. Yeah, that's my answer to this question really. I just I don't really see how we would change it up apart from maybe bringing Geldhart f- for James, but do we see that happening? Probably not. So yeah. I I also I like the click and foreshore two as if we have to play a four in midfield, I think that's the best they're the best two, so yeah. I would I would stick with it as it was. Okay. Um John, do um Cresswell Jiffy as I've written on the running order. <laughs> uh, do Cresswell Joffy uh, Shackleton or Roberts have any chance of starting the game on Saturday? I think they do, insofar as we've had a couple of poor results and I think that we're very much approaching Bielsa tweaking things around territory. So I wouldn't be surprised if he if he tries something slightly different. Um in terms of in terms of the front two, I could see perhaps Joffy getting a start. Obviously he 
um, played in the the Spurs game, I think last time around as well. Um, and I think, do we think that Rodrigo and, and Joffe would offer more than Rodrigo and James? I, I suppose it's, it's much of a muchness as for what we what we really have because we'll see Rodrigo dropping deep anyway, right? And um, and so essentially, it will end up being like what we see in a nine and then a ten with those two anyway, right? But I think one of the issues that when we've got Rodrigo, James and Gelhart as our strikers is that if, if, if those three are going to play as strikers, I think they'll operate best as second strikers. So that, that's a bit of a bit of an issue, John. How do, how, how do you think we make the best pair out of those three? Well, I suppose you'd bring Roberts into the conversation. And uh, I think Roberts, for me, is the most natural replacement for Bamford in terms of like for like. Um, and... Yeah, I, I suppose the, the big question then is what what you want your your striker to do. But we've not seen Roberts really playing up front for any extended period of time, really, um, which suggests that I don't, I don't know what it suggests. Maybe it suggests that Bielsa sort of doesn't see him as being ideal in either of those positions. I know that, for example, yesterday Roberts was brought on to replace Rodrigo and offer something a bit more in midfield in terms of the off-ball stuff. Um, so it could be that that Roberts is considered a, a sort of midfielder when it comes to the off-ball stuff, but it would be interesting to see uh, maybe Roberts plus one other as a as a strike partnership. Uh, and then the other one, I suppose, is Shackleton, who I didn't think particularly stood out, but, I mean, no one stood out, did they? Um, do you... Do you start Shackleton because you want Dallas elsewhere I think is basically the question um, and yeah I, I, I personally don't see Dallas fitting anywhere in, else in this 4-4-2 other than fullback so um, again I suppose if you play Dallas as a right back you do have the option of being able to bring him in and, and have Shackleton as a backup on that side um, and then Cresswell yeah I mean Again, we've just we've just talked about Dallas fitting Dallas in the team. It does feel very much to me at the moment that Bielsa is sorting this team out so that he can get Dallas in in whatever iteration. Um, I would have no problem with us playing Ailing as right back, for example, and then p- perhaps going with Cresswell in in the right centre back position. Uh, but I think for Bielsa that would entail dropping Dallas, and I don't think he wants to do that. So again, it's going to be the same story as we talked about before, which is Bielsa trying to get his senior players into position and by senior players I think we mean his favourite players uh, to a certain extent into those positions so I think that your hunch that we all play the same team but with Rodrigo nominally starting as a striker is probably correct. So that means that we will play Melier in goal, Dallas at right back, Ailing at right centre back, Strauch at left centre back, Firpo at left back, um, with a midfield four of Rafinha, Click, Forshaw, and Harrison, and then a front two of uh, Rodrigo and James. Yeah, I think I think you're right. That's that's what I think. Well, I think I'm right actually. That is what we'll end up playing. <laughs> Even a blind squirrel eventually finds a nut, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> eventually, eventually. Okay, let's think about some of the tactical questions. So, Tom, what's your hunch about? About how Conte will approach this because Chris wasn't 100% sure and um, in the two halves I've just listened back to our, our review of the, the last Spurs game and in, in the two halves at, um, at their ground we, we play, they played two very different games so they were very passive sort of mid-blocky but not, not really kind of even engaging in the mid mid block um and and giving us lots of space out wide um in the first half and then in the second half they pressed us really got got people running at us kind of you know um exposed a lot of those things that we we are capable of having exposed so how do you think they approach their off ball work um in this game because i think that will define the game won't it yeah i think chris was kind of going with the fact that they would come out at us on the back of being very confident uh, but that was pre-recorded recorded pre the Burnley game, so um, I, I think what what I think will happen is I think he'll probably go with the same approach as the first game. Um, I think he'll sort of try yeah go mid blocky in the first half because I, I don't think they can do that high press for the whole game. Um, and if they do go for it and it does, you'd imagine it'd work. But if it doesn't work, then it kind of it could lead to a situation in the second half where they're kind of I was trying having to just completely sit in or the game just opens up and that would whilst that would still favour them, it's a bit of a risk, whereas the him going mid block in the first half, high press in the second half, that'll just that should just be do the job. Uh, but like yeah, like you said, that that'll be um that will sort of define how the game will go and I think we could I think we could definitely see a repeat situation where we're quite happy with the first half. Um but then the result of the game ends up being the same. John, what's your take on this? 
Yeah, I don't know, actually. Um, I think I probably agree with Tom insofar as I expect them to be passive in the first half and in the knowledge that if they have to, they could come out in the second half. Uh, I think they'll probably take a lot of a lot from that 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 first game that they played against us um but i'm i'm really interested to see what they do when they are more passive because i felt as though they just played to our strengths and the difference between those two halves was was pretty monumental really and uh, i know that i know that nathan clark suggested that um he he felt as though we got all pressed out in the second half but i i, I really do think that if you press Leeds man for man high up the field, you cause us problems. We've seen it happening on so many occasions this season. And I I genuinely do think that if you are a team who wants to get a result against us, then the best way of doing that is just being a little bit more aggressive and, and, and bold and, and knowing that, you know, even if the game does become a bit transitional, in a transitional game, the the team that has Hyungman Son and Harry Kane is probably going to do all right. Um, so it will be fascinating to see whether or not they fall into that same old trap that they did last time out. Um, but I, I also think that, um, that that they probably will think, well, you know, it went wrong last time because we conceded a goal. We, we sort of got game stated a bit and then we were able to come out in the second half as well. So they'll probably just want to do the same thing, but do it better and not give away the goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I probably agree with that. And John, Spurs um, struggled massively against Burnley, pressing high. Um, Burnley's press was quite impressive in that game. And bearing in mind some of our discussions about pressing earlier in this podcast, um, can we get our high press working effectively enough to cause them problems, do you think? If I remember correctly, when we played against Spurs last time, we were doing that thing where we played Rafinha as a wide f- forward. Is that correct? Rafinha didn't play Did in the game. Play? Down there, no, it was Dallas that played on the right, right-hand side. I'm pretty sure that we played a press which allowed dire time and space on the ball. Mm. And I was wondering if that was because we played... Rafinha as a wide player I'm clearly wrong but I wondered if we played a player as a wide forward who just sat on the right well the left sided centre back for them was that Dan James did Dan James did we do it with James and then we had Joffrey playing uh, James and yeah. Joffe were the, yeah. were the strikers. Well, yeah. there you go. I wonder if we'll do something similar and then and then have James on the on the single player and then Joffe sitting between the two, because I remember Dyer being given quite a bit of space and the way that they 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 then outed the um, the, the ball was just through him doing fairly long passing through the middle. Um, again, we we probably will like that because it will allow us to try and do that gagan press that we do where we try and step in front of players dropping in to pick the ball up and and launch a counter-attack of our own so yeah it it will be an interesting one i don't think we're going to cause them problems by pressing high because i think that they'll be able to play around that i think burnley caused them problems because they again they went man for man and forced them into into the corner and they couldn't get out and they covered the channels that that spurs like to play out of i don't see us doing that but um i also don't have a problem necessarily with diet playing the ball into the midfield area from where we can then try and gag and press and get the ball back and, and attack the space that's left uh, and attack directly. So, um, yeah, I think that's, for me, that's where the, the pressing will be dangerous by by a counter press in the midfield area rather than a high press in, the, in their back line. Tom, Spurs have got the potential to um, brutalise us in transition and, do, and due to the quality of their um, front three and I feel a, si- bit, feel a bit silly um, asking what we can do to manage those issues because we sort of know how how, how we're going to try and do that because we've seen Bielsa double down on the man marking and on playing the really transitional game so do you think there's any chance we will see anything different from, from Leeds in this game or will it be the same Leeds man marking wide transition vacating central spaces you know you know the drill you've seen it all before I do think it will be the same for this game I think if a change is going to come about if, with all the stuff that we talked about earlier, I think it'll be in a, in a time when we've got a week between games, just so we can. Because I, I think was it when Wednesday we've got two two days turnover between games. I just don't think that's enough to try and do it. So I think he'll go through for this game, and then you might see something different in the Leicester game. Fingers crossed. Not optimistic on that one, but yeah, yeah, I don't think we'll see anything different for this game. So what I'm really hoping for is at the end of the game on Saturday for Antonio Conte to be having as much of an existential crisis as I'm having <laughs> um, about football right now. So where will the game be won or lost, Tom? I think he did have a crisis he after did. the Burnley game. He did, yeah, I really like enjoyed it. it. <laughs> yeah, I did as well. It made me feel better. Won uh, or lost. Um, if we can not leave the midfield open and get run through by Son and Kane. I think I kind of hope we can just kind of get over them with the press. I think that's where we could win the game. 
Um, but I think he might be lost by the fact that we'll be open and they have Hummingsall and Harry Kane. John? I think it will be won or lost for us in the way that Spurs decide to try and manage the game in the first half. I think if they do what they did last time and they leave space for us to attack and they allow us to progress the ball in wide areas, we could nick a goal and there's no saying that they're necessarily going to be able to claw it back like they did last time. Um, and yeah, maybe I'm clutching at straws, but I do think that that, that is a possibility. And we've seen uh, we've seen teams, I think, come out against us expecting to do to beat us because they expect to beat us. We've seen it with West Ham a few times and and we finally got got one over on them. Um, And I think the same thing could happen with Spurs. They do strike me as being a sort of fairly similar side in that respect in that I think some of the games that we've played against them have actually been uh, a little bit closer than than you might have thought um, they would be. So I think, yeah, if we can have one of those games like we had against West Ham where we are able to generate chances and our finishing is really efficient on the day, then there's no reason why there shouldn't be a chance that we could get something from this game. Uh, but again, we've just come off the back of some horrible results. Confidence will be low. And um, yeah, no doubt Conte has learned some lessons from last time around as well. So it does go both ways. So, someone will be having an existential crisis on Sunday, whether it's Conte or the combined members of All Stats, aren't we? Remains? Probably Josh Hobbs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, probably. I mean, I'm not sure anything really needs to happen for Hobbsy to have an existential crisis. To be honest. It's just a Saturday for Hobbsy. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's just his mode of being, isn't it? It's the existential crisis. If he didn't have an existential crisis, he would cease to exist. So, it's probably yeah. important for him to have that existential crisis. Yeah. I think we'd all be a bit worried about him as well if he's suddenly sort of seemed to be all right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think that brings us to the end. Um, It's been really nice and um, cathartic to talk to you chaps tonight. Um, But we'll be back on Sunday with a review of the Spurs game. But until then, enjoy the game, everybody, if you can, and have a great week. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.